my thought is that it is perhaps a bigger trend to look at for marketers than even you know AI or any other thing happening on the technology front because there is so much noise. Um, it is unlikely that you know you're going to come up with an idea or a space that is completely untouched, right? We're not into early 2000 that you will be the only one writing content on that. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy and excited to be joined by Abhay Singh. Abhay, or AB, is an accidental marketeer and believes the core purpose of marketing now is to generate momentum for the organization. He started his career in management consulting before pivoting to B2B SaaS and expect, except coding has per perhaps done bits of every other role in SaaS. He ge geeks out on a lot of things like his coffee collection, history books, docu-series, geopolitics, human longevity, and travel that, you know, all these things are currently holding his attention. We're excited about this. Abhay, welcome to the show. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for having me. So even though I shared, you know, uh, just just a quick overview of like your, your journey and background, um, could you please uh, give us a few more details about uh, your journey and what has brought you to, to Mesh and the, the position and the role you have uh, today at the company? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think any story I'd say would be completely made up because it's purely by accident. Every role that I've got ever since I graduated, uh, I was planning something and something else ended up happening. You'll not believe my first job was, if anyone knows what a KPO is, knowledge process outsourcing, that's where I started. I, I lasted maybe six months in that job, out of which two months was training took up some consulting gig on the side that too, I was not even employed. I was like a part-time consultant, converted that role, uh, slowly went to a different team. And then after a few years, I just got bored of, if anyone has been a consultant of making slides, I said, I'm not going to make you know PowerPoints again. Uh, not in this life, at least uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, so at that point, I was started researching for startups. At that point, I was living in India and the startup boom was there, a bunch of startups had started popping up and I could see it around. My friends were joining some and I said, where can I go and add value? So uh, I came across Mesh. I felt like this is, you know, a industry, a domain that I understand. Maybe I can do, go in and do some things. So I landed up at Mesh. I rang up the founders. They said, yep, seems like a decent guy would come on in. And yeah, I started doing a bunch of things. I did SDR work, AE, did CSM, design product screens. And after enough ruffle and shuffle, I somehow uh, they felt that marketing was my strongest suite in terms of putting uh, demand generation, content, product marketing, everything together. And so currently I set out of this uh, role and I do my best to add value every day. 
Okay. Uh, for people who haven't heard of uh, Mesh before, can you please give us a quick blurb what the company is, what products it offers, and who gets the most value out of these products? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think for most marketers who would be the audience of this show, this is a software perhaps you want to use the least. It's a it's in the human resource industry, so we typically go after CHROs of mid-market enterprises. Um, I think as a function and marketers would understand, I have a bookmark on my Chrome where I have tools, all the ones you know bookmarked, and I, it it does not fit into one screen. I have to scroll that many you know tools that marketers interact with every day. HR is nowhere close, right? They would try, but typically the CEOs will not get the budget or the attention from that perspective. And typically it's boring software laid out poorly, UXs, you wouldn't want to go back to it again. And you want to get in and get out, maybe download your payslip once in a while, put in your performance review. So we wanted to make it uh, more engaging for the end user. And from a system of record keeping, we wanted to be a system of action. So it belongs in the performance management category, but we are trying to sort of redefine the problem in this space and we call it performance enablement, that this is something that needs to happen on an ongoing basis between the individual and the manager. Work is now much more than, than just doing tasks. How do you set up goals? How do you frequently have conversations with your managers? How do you make managers better coaches because you don't get that training and then help people with their careers? Uh, because all these macro factors uh, just before this uh, recording began, George and I were chatting about that. We no longer know what's going to happen in six months. Uh, now, who's going to get us through this? You can have the best strategy, the best tech stack, the best investors and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's your people that are going to get you through. So if your quality of the people, how quickly you can get them to peak performance and how well do you develop the people in-house, they will be able to adjust to different priorities. So making a killer team, Perhaps we believe that amongst every other priority is as critical right now. And that is a problem that Mesh is trying to solve. Is performance enablement uh, sort of like uh, something you invented and started using, or is it a thing in the HR world? I'm just asking because I, I'm not so familiar with HR terms. Mm, interesting one. I think probably the trademark office can help me. I'd love to get the credit, but I think this term has been loosely used before, even though I think it doesn't really belong to, you know, that HubSpot invented inbound marketing or I don't, I don't think the affiliation is that strong. So I, I think it's there for the taking. And if my SEO results are anything to go by, I think we'll soon take it. <laughs> uh, so you have more than three years working at Mesh. Um, my first question would be, what are the biggest learnings you got from these three years regarding the Munchen? Yeah, um, so many, right? Uh, probably I would just do stop me when you want me to stop speaking. I think um, perhaps when we all, the founders and we, when we were initially testing the waters, right? So even if you have capital, we wanted to ensure that we quickly go out and test our hypothesis around the problem, around the product before we build a big elephant that no one is ready to buy. At that point, for me, demand generation was much more one-on-one. -on -one. So I was literally uh, on a one-on-one -on -one basis trying to sort of reach out to companies and we didn't want to sell the product to them. And I think a lot of founders do this even today. Some do not. Some, you know, straight away want to bring in a VP of sales or a VP of marketing after having one or two customers in. Uh, so, but we made sure that at least the first 10 to 15 clients we had, we were not greedy. We didn't want to exploit, you know, a lot of budgets. Let's put them into ads. Let's hire 24 videos. 
uh, because we were in an existing category. It was very easy to, you know, start making 50 dials a day and say, right, do you want to buy a performance management platform? Hey, here's Mesh. Um, so it was slow at first. But once we sort of got towards some initial signs of product market fit, we had paying customers even with a minimum viable pro um, product. At that point, we really doubled the team on demand generation. Um, it is the, the language of this I always found confusing because I think everyone sort of defines it in a different way. Uh, demand generation and demand capture, and this is across the funnel, this is pre-funnel. For us, the demand generation is that how many people are now aware about us. That's where we sort of start looking at the results of this function. There's, of course, demand capture teams. We sort of look them in from a media perspective. Pete, so it is a big step for that. And a bit of that we get from retargeting as well. Um, for uh, From a learning perspective, um, it was very easy one and a half, two years back, right? And most early stage companies would relate to it in terms of putting capital in and getting some results out. Um, so even though it was really not efficient or we could have, you know, maybe look at payback once in a while or look at tag once in a while and try and optimize it was very acceptable at that point to sort of just go in and pump the dollars and get that money in. But we also sort of reacted to the market in the past one and a half years, and we have shifted to more of educating the 95% of the market that is typically not buying right now, right? Um, so our focus has a lot more changed on original content, expert-led content, and that is what we're trying to put more of our money in. While some degree of sort of 25 to 30%, we still put in demand capture. But we are now at a level where we are, from a cash flow perspective, afford to do that. You know, the business can keep running. But of course, before that, the image was absolutely flipped. 80 to 90 percent would go into demand capture because we wanted to get that momentum in, so that you know we want to extend our uh, runway from that perspective and ensure that we are not just relying on external capital to fuel that growth. So it's been an interesting flip, um, and of course, the external environment has fueled. A rapid change in your positioning as well. I know that throughout the journey about we have had two, three slight pivots on our positioning in terms of how we go to the market. But I think that's why I joined the startup is to learn quickly, fail quickly. So can't complain. What do you prioritize in terms of uh, channels? And I mean, first of all, how do you test these channels? Uh, for example, let's say that uh, you want to test PPC, paid search or paid social or SEO. And then how do you think an approach, how do you think about an approach um, like doubling down and taking the most out of these channels without, um, you know, burning burning them out? Yeah. Um, we take an approach where we don't really classify a channel will only generate one sort of an outcome, right? So be it, I think maybe except paid search where the very clear goal is that it's so expensive, right? I want to play 100 clicks for someone to come and see my ebook. Um, so that channel is very focused on that unless you're searching for X platform, X tool on similar search terms, is our preposition, value proposition from a product marketing perspective strong enough to get that click A and then get that demo request so that you know sales can go and have that conversation. But apart from that, most of these channels we look at um, at a campaign level to per se, right? So even when I look at paid social, 60 to 70%, and, and this works for us, and I think it would work for most of the startups unless you have a very different product. Ours is a platform play, multiple use cases, 25, 30,000 ECV or above that in most cases. So it's not like you're gonna click and sign up and buy. It's a 
it's a process that you won't enjoy running, typically through multi-threading and multiple stakeholders in an organization. So far, it is an awareness play. And because we go after human resource leaders and CEOs, they don't jump on to SaaS calls every week, right? They probably do like two in a year. And most of the other time, they're asking an intern on their team or maybe their manager or maybe an HRVP to go out, hey, we are using X. It's not seems to be working. Can you go out and look for alternative? Or hey, why? Last time we had a leadership meeting. Uh, this is the complaint that our head of marketing made from a people perspective. Can we look at a software you know, that can help us solve this? So paid social, we are very clearly wanted to be in awareness focus. So we look at reach, we look at sort of traffic that we're getting, and we're very happy with it till the point it's um, the unit economics adds up, right? We look at this pen and we look at that, are we getting enough juice from it? And the same goes for SEO. Because if you're doing any lead capture sort of mechanisms over there where we can potentially drive um, demo signups, we measure that campaign in that way. But if you're writing some overarching pillar page or we're writing some huge 2024 XYZ report, then we're not really looking at, you know, that's not going to drive pipeline. But we're going to tell everyone that this is what we do. And hopefully when the time is right, they would be engaged with us enough so that when they come back, they'll start looking at it. So that is broadly how we look at channels. And that's how I report back to our CEO as well. Um, I think that's been one of the biggest, biggest learnings. I think especially people who work with uh, CEOs from a technological background or maybe sales background to go back and have these conversations and get on the same page, right, about education, because it's very easy for them to ask you, hey, how many, how much revenue has this podcast driven? I'm not looking to drive revenue from this podcast. I'm looking to go out in the community and establish our authority, because unless someone has trust in your brand, they don't want to trust you with such a critical business process. Um, it's not easy. I was just, I just shortened it in a very easy manner, but um, I, I think that is most critical aspects for marketing leaders to sort of get in and go that budget as well. Because if everything is looked at from a revenue perspective, while that is important, um, dig down in each initiative, each campaign, each channel and breaking that down, it takes us about three to four months, uh, three to four hours a month, but that's time that I definitely invest in. That's, that's one of the trickiest points, right, of marketing in general, because at the end of the day, marketing's work is to do sales uh marketing's function and job is to to do sales uh, job easier right uh if we are talking about a like sales led uh, or sales assisted at least uh SaaS product led is somehow different but at the same time you have to invest in like all these other things that may not have an impact today, but can contribute to a like positive impact um, you know, in like three to six months or whatever. Especially in, in your case where the sales cycle, as per my understanding, is is longer, right? Um yeah, it's but it, but it's tough. Months. Yeah. But it's tough. I mean it's tough to communicate that because because it's it's difficult, especially for senior management, to see that I can't attach this uh, US dollar spent on X to like Y uh, ROI uh, today, right? It's it's tough. Yeah, um, super tough, right? And we spoke about the CEO. Uh, imagine having this conversation with the CFO, right? Who probably has very limited insight from a go-to-market perspective. Hey, you're using this tool for this. 
how does it add value? Can we remove it? And I think most of your audience would have had this conversation in the past six months, right? The CFO would have gone through each line item on your SaaS tech stack and said, what does this do? What does this do? Can we get a cheaper alternative? Can we get this to be going? Uh, so yes, stuff, uh, but I think must be done because that's the only way uh, we're going to get a reasonable uh, flywheel going on the revenue side. Otherwise, we can you know just drive these empty signups and just give those leads to sale. It's not going to work out. Uh, so we had this interesting conversation, right, where we, I actually prepared a model that if we focus on this sort of a marketing play, we, we just feed a function. This is how much excess headcount you're anyway going to need in sales, and these are your conversion rates. It doesn't translate into more revenue at the end of the day. Um, and if you have a high opportunity generation MQL model where you only send qualified, high quality, high intent MQLs back to sales, you're actually going to need less people there. Now, that was an investment of two days, but it worked out well for us, right? And I was also able to put in dollars in the right place. So, tough, but one of those tough things I think must be done. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is a great segue for the next question I have for you, which is um, attribution. And I mean, as we as we were discussing, like it's difficult to attribute value or like direct contribution, even indirect sometimes, uh, to um, from each of the activities that you that you uh, invest in and like uh, spent time and resources and and so on. Um, but still. Attribution is an issue, right? And I would like to 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 focus specifically on um, activities like, as you mentioned, podcast is a great example. Still, I think that you need to say something, though, right? And I think that one of the things that is missing from a lot of these conversations is context, right? And if you add context and like give context as to why we should be doing this, it may be easier to to get the buy-in and the resources you need and and so on. But I would like to hear how you approach attribution and especially attribution um, when it comes to channels with hard to prove uh, ROI. Yeah. Um, it is um, one of those things that can inspire a lot of control, right? Because I think also from an attribution perspective, in the last 12 months, maybe we have, have had access to the best technology that has ever existed, right? With some of these vendors popping up in the last two to 18 months. Now it is um, possible to do a lot more than we could just do with a marketing automation platform back in the day, maybe let's say 18 months back and your marketing ops person crunching a spreadsheet. So my my fundamental premise is to not go into analysis paralysis, right? Uh, I, I want to sort of compare US economy and the price of onion, right? Draw up some random hypothesis that I'm not going to be able to prove. So we look at two or three things. We're still sort of a series A company, so we don't want to go too much into attribution just to prove. Even look at overall uh, dollars in and dollars out, right? So whatever marketing programs that we're driving, we all understand the leadership team, the XCOM committee at Mesh, the GTM leadership team, we are very clear on that there is a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. Um, so when they see that people are asking each other in communities, they're asking each other in Slack channels, they're asking their interns to do the research, and I've seen it by hands. Uh, I've seen it in HR communities with more than 10,000 people where a new HR leader has joined a company and they're asking, hey, I'm trying to do this, what should I buy? And then their peers go, da 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 that's that's their research. They're not going to cheat to that cookie that you can track and those sort of thing. And 
This is what colloquially labeled dark social, right? So A, we look at overall investment dollars in whichever programs that we're going in. Um, then, of course, we look at sort of first, uh, we're still an early company. So a lot of times um, where the lead enters our database is typically uh, pretty easy to identify that where did it first originate from. So we look at original source. We look at the last stitch as well, whether that was provided by sales. Does a content converted or actually a BDR or an A actually did that? And then we have self-attributed attribution right through. We have an open field form, uh, just commonly recommended. Just the three pillars. We man it in a common Excel sheet. We look at opportunities and rate it in a quarter. And we do a sense check. Uh, don't waste too much time into it. Get a directional answer because we're never going to get the perfect answer. Um, I think at a, at a point where we get to a stage, I'll be happy to sort of invest in an attribution software. This sort of make this sort of things easier because then I want to look at campaign level. I had 16 creatives on LinkedIn. Which one did this person see? Um, but at this stage, I, maybe it's a bit too much, right, for a company of our size. But for us, attribution is working on these three levels. And then, of course, at least if your content is hosted on the web. In any case, if someone's coming on your website, whether it be to your resource hub or any of your product marketing stuff, at least you'll get a traffic indication in terms of coming in. So that's quite healthy for us because if someone's engaging on our organic social or paid social, uh, like, for example, we do have technologies that can show us accounts that engage with us. Uh, but at, we stick to this much uh, level of detail at this point. And I think beyond that is analysis paralysis, at least for a company of our size and shape at this point. Okay, that was that was a great answer. Um, how about content marketing and SEO? Um, do this work for you? There is an ob obvious overlap. This is why, why, this is why I, I, you know, um, ask for both of them. Um, but do these channels work for you? And if so, do you have any learnings to, to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, in some spots, it has. We know the potential. I think if, if it hasn't worked for us, it's because I think we haven't done an A-plus job on it, to be completely honest and vulnerable from that perspective. Uh, because wherever we have done it, even be it from a uh, BOFU content page, you know, detailing out the industry competitor and those sort of pages where we have done it well, the results have come in. Uh, but the rest of the initiatives at this point, we don't look at it from a revenue perspective. So even the team that we had, we typically had them segregated by what the intended outcome of that content program is. So for example, if you're focused on getting ICP traffic, qualified leads from that perspective, just ensuring that your email database is growing. That was a separate spot team. And then a team focused on between content and product marketing was very separate that were completely focused on driving MQL uh, right from that perspective. So it does work uh, for us. Have we exploited it fully? Maybe not yet. Um, so that's something that we need to crack in the coming months. Okay, that makes sense. Um, what are your thoughts? You, you kind of touched on that or at least mentioned it earlier. Um, what are your thoughts on original content and uh, content types that go beyond the keyword and targeting a keyword, uh, regardless if it's for an alternative yeah. piece or whatever it may be? My thought is that it is perhaps a bigger trend to look at for marketers than even, you know, AI or any other thing happening on the technology front because there is so much noise. Um, 
it is unlikely that you know you're going to come up with an idea or a space that is completely untouched right we're not into early 2000 that you will be the only one writing content on that probably there're going to be 300 other dudes and girls probably writing some content about that it might not even be a competitor it might be some solo entrepreneur might be some agency something something google is a competitive space what and of course the ai proliferation that is happening right that how easy it is to manufacture commoditized content it, it is it literally takes you a few click now and i think that has pushed the envelope for everyone um in terms of whatever unique insight that a human brain can bring to the equation and across formats because not everyone is sitting down and reading long pieces content and there is empirical evidence to back it up even at a larger level in terms of people reading books or more short form content growing up you know in your personal life you see it around that what is perhaps more going up are you doing youtube reels that space is completely untaken there are probably millions of people going and watching things on that channel and even educational content related to their work and not just you know podcasts and sports highlights um there is things available to you on tiktok um there was just one uh, marketer that i was speaking to last week because these guys are killing i forgot the name but all they do is they make these funny meme videos on instagram and that channel has shot up like anything right you're not going to get better awareness than that and that's completely not completely free but trust me much more cheaper than going out and spending that amount of money google ads or something like that and how much expert led can you be uh, so i can give you our example right so we operate in the performance management space it's not a new concept the fundamentals remain the same perhaps 100 or more years old our icp persona really needs credibility to whatever they're reading yes you can write some dummy posts on any topic and perhaps an intern will read it will no value add to you but if i want to attract a hr director of a fortune 500 or a, you know deloitte top 1000 fastest growing technology firm you really think that some article that someone put together in 3 hours is going to excite them they're not it, unless you bring that credibility and originality in so that is a layer we have started to adopt across all our content and i literally do that outreach i am sitting on linkedin you know finding people in companies experienced echros talent leaders consultants people who have done this in the past authors of books and we want to bring into content that we are created and we bring them in early we record podcasts with them we do a webinar with them we invite them to write guest blogs for us and we ensure that the content that we are creating it's immediately 10x above anything else anyone will do internally or with the help of an agency right because to get that degree of pedigree is going to be incredibly difficult to compete with and it's not just user feedback that comes on it even search engines so one of the articles that we wrote we didn't even look at seo but for those search terms within 3 weeks it was on page 1 and now sort of slowly moving into page 1 and i see that happening for myself and i've seen that happening for other saas companies as well no keyword research was done for this it just focused on a quality topic that everyone was talking about in their customer conversation and they poured in a lot of expert led original content multi format it helps you all across you could see my excitement about how long i spoke and my voice would have gone yeah 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 of course um that's interesting i would like to know the example i i would like to know the name of the company uh that pushes out great content on instagram um but i mean that's very close what what you described is very close to what 
we think uh, at Venusia, and now we are taking some steps towards this direction um, by partnering up with experts who uh, essentially, you know, sign off every piece of content before it goes uh, out, uh, before it's, it gets sent to, to the client. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is, this is a great point. Um, I would like to discuss something that you broadly, uh, that you briefly mentioned, which is, uh, generative AI and, uh, more specifically ChatGPT. Um, I understand that like the direction is different, but have you found any like useful, uh, use cases, um, for your role? or concreation, um, whatever, any, any useful use cases? Um, I would say I'm still in an exploration mode, but it has almost become like a buddy of mine that I can immediately go and brainstorm with, right? Because, um, I don't know if other people feel the same. Sometimes I have this, these hours in a day, right? I can't be productive eight to 12 hours. It's just thought is there. And I just go it as a dumping ground, and then I, it gives me the next wave, and I can iterate on it, be it writing an ad copy, coming up with a content brief, sometimes even writing sales sequences or writing product marketing deliverables. I definitely use it for that. There have been instances with, I'm also getting better at writing prompts or as jargonly known as prompt engineering in terms of how I can give the right input to chat GPT in order to come up with it. Uh, so I have fun playing with it. Uh, so in a lot of sort of, I don't use it right now for ultimate content production, but I do use it a lot in my personal productivity from as a marketer. And we are a team of two, right? So we need to do seven, eight jobs in a team of two. So that has, it has definitely accelerated on that front because we were able to get our first drops that much early. And a lot of copy that we have to sometimes write, it can get us to a 70, 80% output still. And I tested some other tools as well, you know, private as well as chat GPT. Largely, I'm using ChatGPT, that much I can tell you. And I, I can do the final finishing touches right and then use that into deliverables. So time-safe perspective, definitely that's one thing I've come across. Um, there is a public example, I love it, that uh, I think some of you might have noticed is what LinkedIn has been doing. Because if you have ever shared content on LinkedIn, you might have recently received an invite. It is almost, I think, entirely automated. So some topics might be slightly stupid in terms of what is the innovation you're bringing in computer software industry. But sometimes they come up with these really nice topics. So what they have done is that there is an initial AI-driven draft, but they're putting expert-led anodates on top of it. And if you notice closely now, there are some search terms where it's not G2 or technology advice on page one, it's LinkedIn. And it's that they have leveraged this um, sort of advent of technology and I think they have moved ahead. So that's an interesting space that I'm watching out for. And I think some of you might have already got that top uh, thing they're giving out and I can put that because I was ignoring this so far, but trust me, uh, oh, next week onwards, I'm contributing to at least two articles a week. That's interesting. Um, I didn't know about that. That's that's an interesting one. So and we... that's the world, George. It's hard to keep up. So much happening. Yeah, it's true. And like on my end, especially lately, so many things are going on. So hard to keep up with, uh, with everything. Um, we were discussing before we start recording, um, this episode that it's difficult to talk about the future with all the things that have been going on in the world in the last, I don't know, I would say four years because I can frame it better, uh, 
Minusia is almost four years old, so I would say four years. And so it's difficult, at least for me, to to plan for the future, right? And and talk about the future because I just want to focus on what I have in front of me right now. However, I'm going to ask you uh, the question, um, which I I ask very often here at the podcast, uh, and this will be my second to last question, uh, which is, what do you think the future holds for um, SaaS companies when it comes to like how they do marketing, how they do, how they do content marketing, how they approach SEO, uh, how they approach demand gen, and so on. Um, yeah. Uh, especially from an AI perspective, you're saying, right? No, uh, AI may not be. In fact, it, it shouldn't be part of the the the, the answer. But uh, whatever, if you think that AI will play mm-hmm. a role, uh, then mm-hmm. you know, feel free to include it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think um, my biggest, one of my biggest learning has been right that it is not always easy to copy paste solutions or approaches from one place to the another. And if people have to really look at anything, you can see as marketers who are successful at one and maybe not, you know, we go ahead somewhere else and you're not that successful. I think how well we understand our core business what the product is, who do we sell it to, how does that persona job titles typically behave, those are golden principles that are going to stand the test of time. And everything that we do from that point onwards should be catered to that. So now I have this sort of internal knowledge management wiki where I call it the crown rules of mesh marketing, right? Where these are non-negotiable unless our fundamental premise about our audience, our business, our product changes, these principles will be the base of everything that we do above anything that any influencer says or some company that comes up with the case study or there's some technological revolution happening because these are evergreen. Businesses were built in the industrial age, were built before Google was born, and things are going to keep on happening, maybe much faster than they used to. Maybe it's to be one big thing in 10 years, probably it's six months now. And maybe by George and I add a couple of years, it will be three months uh, so that is not going to change, but I think how fundamentally we understand these things is going to drive everything. Hey, yeah, a, a company might have driven MQLs from SEO, but you are a new category. No one is searching for your platform or your category is not famous. You're not going to get that. Uh, you sell to supply chain professionals. The last time the supply chain director logged into LinkedIn, I don't know, it was 2022. Your audience is not there on LinkedIn. Hey, you're selling to, I don't know, you're selling to finance professionals. You think CFOs tune into finance podcasts every Saturday? I don't think so. So understand that. And then accordingly, shake your market strategy. Don't go and do something because X person said it on LinkedIn or Y person said it or TOC, TO. Question, have some basic principles and I think design everything based on that. And even from a technology perspective, uh, because we touched on AI and I am very curious about the topic, it is a tool. As a marketers, we have had multiple tools going back to yellow pages, now to AI, uh, see how you want to use it and where it will be useful. Um, is it disruptive to some industries much more than it is to others at a fundamental product level? Maybe yes. Uh, as marketers, yeah, it is. It can perhaps help you in places, but don't spend time more time figuring out AI than sort of focusing on priorities. Let the show go on and... Uh, Spend non don't spend non disparate amount of time trying to figure out something that you cannot control. 
So I focus 90% of my time on things that, that I cannot control. And then I spend 10% on things that I cannot control, but I hope to study them. I think that's a great way to uh, wrap this episode up. Um, last question I have for you, where can people find out more and get in touch? Yeah, I'm always available for a chat. I, I try and speak to at least one or two members of the community every week. And uh, some of you might have seen my cold reach, reach out on LinkedIn as well. LinkedIn is the best place to uh, or my email is first name at learn more uh, from them. Um, so those are the two best channels to reach me. Okay, we will drop everything in the show notes. Uh, up high or Amy, um, that was very insightful. Really enjoyed the conversation and I would like to thank you very much for doing this. It's a pleasure, George, and I hope uh, the community finds some value in what I had to share. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel, where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.